From the world to your ears, welcome to Yakin with Yassian, a podcast about music and its business. Featuring your host, Dan Yassian. It gives me great pleasure today to have Tom Ryan sitting next to me. Tom, veteran radio broadcaster of Detroit. If you haven't heard of Tom, then you're not from Detroit. You're six years old. <laughs> That's right. 62 was my first actual venture into radio okay. as the ever popular male boy at WKMH Radio. Which turned into Keener. yeah. Keener. One way or another, your career has spanned uh, some 40 years. Yes. And it's almost unheard of that somebody could go on for that kind of a distance in radio. Anywhere. Forget Detroit. Just anywhere. You began at Keener with uh, Dick Purton. Mm -hmm. You were his sidekick, you could say, or his producer, his assistant, his everything. Right. Oh, yeah. Then you had continually reinvented yourself through the years from where you started with Dick and then on upward right over to OMC. But along the way, you did all these characters from Louie to Captain Detroit to Count Scary to Sergeant Sacto. And then, lo and behold, it was undercover for a while that you also Santa Claus yeah. in the Thanksgiving parade. Detroit. For 20 years. But it was well kept secret right well it it was people knew because i remember neil rubin wrote an article about uh i was having trouble with my knees Mm -hmm. and i had to have both my knees replaced i I decided to do it when i did it because in the thanksgiving parade when you santa came in and he would walk down the steps of his sleigh and then go up to a little facade where the mayor was and usually chuck gatica well, it was right. tough for me to go up and down stairs, so I had my both knees replaced on the same day Oh my! Goodness. so that I could continue to do that. Wow. And, uh, yeah, the way it happened, I was working doing afternoons at OMC, uh-huh. and a gentleman, I don't remember his last name, Kurt something or other, who um, was the head of the parade company, and I got a call from him saying, we're looking for a new Santa Claus uh-huh. in the downtown parade, and I said, and you're calling me? And he said, well... Your director at Channel 4 of your Count Scary shows, we told him, because Channel 4 carried the parade, and we said, we're looking for a new guy, so why don't you call Tom Ryan? And he said, okay, and so he called me, and I said, well, I've never, the only time I've been Santa Claus was, there was a guy who used to work in Detroit radio, Ed Ed somebody or other, and and see how I'm great on last names, Ed somebody or other, who was in Dallas. And for three years, every Christmas time, he'd call me, and I'd go on the air in Dallas and talk to kids, would call to talk to Santa Claus. And, you know, I, well, you know, I'll tell you this. (laughs) I said, I've never dressed up like him. Uh And he said, well, would you be interested? He said, doesn't pay anything. And I said, well, I, I, I figured that. And he said, if you're interested, we'll consider you. And I said, yeah, I guess I would. I went home and told my wife, who is a Christmas freak. Uh I mean, she's just, and we all grew up here in Detroit. So I remember going to the Thanksgiving Day Parade. We were living in Herman Gardens. And my mother and my best buddy next door, she would put the two of us on the bus. She'd go with us. We'd go down to the parade and watch it. Wow. Uh So I said, and told her, she went nuts. And I said, why do I want to do this, Joan? I mean, and she's, oh. (laughs) So about two or three, no, about a week later, he calls me again. And he said, we've interviewed about 25 people. Would you be willing to come down to the parade company and dress up? 
And I said, yeah, I guess so, sure. You know, we made a time and a date, and we, I went down there, and they put me in the outfit, and they had me walk around. And, and I have to tell you, the funniest story was at the end of that, mm-hmm. I got undressed and put my regular clothes back on. Somebody in that group that was watching me said, you know what? We'd like to thank you for coming down. I, we appreciate you giving us your time. One of those kind of right. things. Yeah. Like, you know, hit yeah. the road. <laughs> so... I go home and I said to my wife exactly what happened. Mm-hmm. And she said, oh, uh. three days later, they call me back and they said, the job's yours if you want it. Oh, wow. I said, you're kidding. He said, no, no, it's, uh, you know, we'll work out all the arrangements. Right. So I said, why didn't you like the guy that was, you know, before me? And they said, well, he just didn't have, you know, we recorded, a, and which we can do for you. As you go down Woodward, we can just record you saying, ho, 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 Merry Christmas, Happy Thanksgiving. I said, no. I mean, can I have a live mic? And he said, oh, yeah, you can. I said, well, I would be wanting to, because I know the parade stops occasionally, and you see kids standing out there, and uh, you want to say, well, hey, you there in the yellow coat there, you look like you're cold. You know, well, this is a July day in the North Pole. And you interact with the people. Right. So he said, well, he just didn't do any of that. And I said, okay, fine. So I did it. Going back to Herman Gardens. Sure. And that's where you started. And I know Herman Gardens to be a low-income area. So you started, I'm going to say, from basically nothing. Right. And you could be, it could be said that you're another example of Horatio Alger in terms of where your career started and how you developed all your characters and your production ability and all those things that you helped Dick with through the years, those 17 years, I suppose. Yes. And then, yeah. and, and then on to WOMC for a, what, another 11 years. and so- 17 years at OMC. 17 there. No, wait a minute, 23 at OMC, 17 with uh, Dick. Amazing. The Herman Gardens thing, it was a project. Mm -hmm. And for those who don't know, because it's been leveled now. And I was uh, living with my mother. My mother was divorced when I was about four, which was unheard of in those days. Oh, yeah. But she was extremely Catholic and never would date or remarry or anything. Mm. So my mother, my sister, who was 10 years older than I, and I moved into Herman Gardens as I was going into the kindergarten. And we almost got thrown out, by the way, because it was a project built for men coming back from World War II. My mother was a telephone operator at Michigan Bell. So they told her one day that she made too much money. And she said, look it, I've got two kids and I'm a single mother. And they, you know, she pleaded her case and they let us stay. So that was the start of Herman Gardens. And then my aunt and my grandmother, my mother's sister and my grandmother, were living someplace else. My aunt was never married, and they were having money problems. Mm -hmm. So they decided, why don't we move in together, all of us? At this point, my sister left because she, um, you know, what did she want to be hanging around us for? Mm -hmm. She left and joined the United States Foreign Service, and she went overseas. So we moved over by the University of Detroit, right across the street, a street called Fairfield, right across the street from U of D. We moved over there, so it was my aunt and my grandmother in one bedroom, my mother in another, and me, I had my own room. And that started a relationship with a guy named Bob Callahan, who was the head coach of the University of Detroit, basketball coach. And with the day we moved in there, I was taking the garbage out to the alley. We had alleys then. And here's this big guy standing there. And I was dump- emptying the garbage, and he said, well, hello, how are you? And I said, well, what's your name? And I told him. And he knew my dad, because my dad was a pretty good basketball and baseball player. And he said, do you play bas- basketball? I said, no, I never played basketball in my life. He said, well, you're tall. And I said, yeah. He says, come on over to my backyard. And I said, well, excuse me. 
And he said, oh, I'm not your neighbor. Don't worry about it. So we go over to his backyard. He has a hoop, reaches into the garage, and takes out a basketball, and he says, shoot it. And, oh, my God, I must have looked pathetic. Mm -hmm. He said, look it. That basketball is always here. I have two daughters and a son. They play all the time. You come over here anytime you want, and you shoot around. Hmm. Now, I don't know who this guy is. Mm-hmm. So I go back home, and my mom says, where you, where you been? I said, this man next door you know, took me to his backyard. And, you know, what man? I said, his name is Mr. Callahan. Oh, he's the coach. Your father knew him. He's the coach at the University of Detroit. <laughs> I said, yeah. He says, oh, he's very, yeah, okay. So I would go over there and shoot and shoot, and he'd come out and say, no, no, don't get, do this, do that, do this. Bottom line is I went out for the eighth grade basketball team at Jesu School, got cut. And then the coach got sick, and my best friend on the basketball team, he'll never know you cut you. Come on back. <laughs> so I did. And I remember there were games, and I learned a lot. And Mr. Callahan would send me to basketball camp on his own during the summer. So I went and I played at St. Gregory High School and did quite well mm-hmm. and eventually got a scholarship to UD to play basketball and played with my hero, Dave DeBuscher. Wow. And when I left school... And I was working at the radio station. Callahan came to me and said, um, we lost our public address announcer. Would you be willing to do the PA at the games? Uh, oh, but to back up, one short story here. Uh-huh. The first basketball game I ever saw at UD, I snuck in with my friend from grade school. <laughs> and the next day, I said to Coach Callahan, boy, you guys, you beat Louisville last night. What a game. And he said to me, you were at the game? I said, yeah. How'd you get in the game? I said, well, uh, 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 who were you with? And I told him the guy's name I was with. He said, I want to see you tomorrow in my office right after school. I go, oh, God, I'm I'm going to jail. So the next day after school, I went into his office, Mm -hmm. and uh, he said, all right, come with me. We went out the door of his office into the gymnasium, into the field house. And he walked me over to the team was getting ready to practice to the scorer's table. It was still all set up because they had a game a couple nights. He said, all right, from now on, he hands me his pass that says, University of Detroit's got my name on it, official pass. Wow. He said, you will sit behind the man who keeps score. And every time there's a foul on a player, he will give you a number from one to five. And you hold up this paddle that says, you know, how many fouls. Everybody will know how many. The scoreboards weren't sophisticated then. Right. How many fouls are on the player? I said, really? He said, yeah. Now, no more sneaking in games. Mm-hmm. So eighth grade, ninth grade, 10th grade, I did that. 11th and 12th grade, I punched the score up on the scoreboard. And I was like, I'm in heaven. And so then I you know, played. And then after that, when he asked me to be the PA announcer, I said, okay. And But that had to be such an exciting oh, offer. Well, let me tell you something. This year is my 54th year doing public address announcing for U of D. And the only reason I do it is because of Bob Callahan. That's the only reason. It's, you know, it's just still What fun. a wonderful thing that is. Yeah. So then, of course, during the course of all this, I go, I'm working at Keener, and I meet Dick, and Dick is doing 10 to 1 at night. And I was a mailboy still, and doing some production, and to make extra money, I stayed after work and would answer phones for him. You know, people calling in requests, and so I would answer the phones, and I'd say, you know, I could look right from the switchboard into the studio, because he kept the door open, Mm -hmm. and I'd tell him, you know, line three, line three. And one night on a slow night, I decided to say, line two. And he and so I got on the phone. I said, hey, Mr. Person, I'm Eddie from uh, Taylor. And I, and he... Did he know this was coming? He, he No, he had no idea. He had no idea. He figured it out after a few minutes. Right. And then we started doing shtick. Um, Mary Poppins was very big in those days, so I became Mrs. Poppins. 
Mary's mother and dad. Dick would say we have Mary's mother and father on the oh, phone. Okay. Ma and Pa Poppins. Oh. <laughs> hey, Dick, how are you? You know, and uh, and Ma Poppins was the dominating figure because he, and he'd say, "Is Pa Poppins there?" Hey, Dick. <laughs> ah, shut up, would you, Pa? You know, and anyway, that started that whole thing. And then when Swingin' Sweeney, who was our morning guy, got fired. They moved Dick into the mornings, and Dick said, Ryan has to work with me. Ah. So then I moved in with in the morning, and we were in the studio together. And So that's how it all started. That's how that all started. That, yeah. that particular phase. Yeah. So I guess one of the questions I needed to ask you, I find it so interesting that two guys could interact the way that you guys did. Uh, because when would you know not to say something and give him his due, or vice versa? There, there had to be a dance, some kind of a well, ballet dance with that I, stuff. I always felt he was the leader. Yeah, of course. It's like the Seinfeld show. Right. Jerry's the leader, and he has all the people around him. Right. And he just manages them. Right. You know, Dick was a very funny guy. He, you know, he wrote a lot of material. Every day after work, we'd go to lunch and sit and write. We'd just eat at McDonald's mm. or Burger King. We'd take the newspaper out, and you know, we'd be there for an hour. And we'd write, well, what can we do about this? But you this? didn't plan it out sentence by sentence oh no 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 but we just had an idea sometimes it'd be scripted a little bit and and you'll you'll remember this because you were very integral and i think it was you anyway um sam sakowitz of course you did the jingle yeah see sam sakowitz if he's got it you can buy it sam sakowitz if it's damaged you can keep it well, one day Dick was reading, uh, it was during Christmas time, and Sackowitz department stores, which were out west, mm-hmm. Houston, they were very high-end, like like Neiman Marcus and t- stuff like that. Right. And they had a Christmas catalog, bizarre things that mm-hmm. you could buy, which, you know, some people still do that. Anyway, so he's reading this, and I'm just sitting there, you know, across from him, like, and he says, uh, the Sackowitz department, as a matter of fact, we're in luck, Sam Sackowitz, the owner, just came in. He said he's right here. What's your name? And I said, right, my name is Sammy Sackowitz. I own the uh, Sackowitz department stores. That's how that all started. And then somebody suggested you to do the jingle, and you right. did this fabulous jingle of Sackowitz department store. And the slogan was, if it's in stock, we got it. We got it. You know, I had so much fun with oh. you guys doing that stuff. It was amazing. And, uh, and then you were also Louie. The engineer. Uh, the engineer. Hey, Mr. Burton. Yeah. Uh, I mean, how many voices do you have? Oh, I don't know. It's, it's, uh, but we had an engineer, but he wasn't named Louis Shook. Right, Louis Shook. And, and we did a song for Louis yes. Shook. Yes. Oh, what a schnook. I was forsook by Louis Shook. I lost my Louis, my electric Louis. I lost my little crew cut cutie. Could you yes. die? Yes. And um, so, we, we, you know, we just... Lou didn't care. I mean, he, you know, we just made fun of him. Like, hey, 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 Dick, because something would go wrong. And he'd say, Louie, what happened back there? I don't know. I wasn't looking. And so we had Louie and him, and we had, uh, well, when it was allowed, we had Lance Sweetfeet, our, our gay character. Oh, my gosh, I remember that, And too. one time, Lance was, you know, always talking about going to the, he was the, the towel boy at the Detroit Lions. And he, we'd say on Mondays, you know, well, Lance, how, how was the game last night? Oh, my goodness, we won. And we do all that. So one day, the phone rings and dick's doing something and i would answer the phones a lot and one day i pick it up and i said dick burton show the guy on the other end says hi i'd like to speak to dick i said who's calling he said monty clark and i said yeah right 
And Monty, of course, was the coach of the of Lions. And I listened to him a little more, and I said, oh, hold on, boo. I said, I think it's really Monty Clark on the phone. So we rolled tape on everything. <laughs> Record would go. So Dick says, you know, good morning. Hey, it's Monty Clark. And it was. And he said, yeah, hey, Coach Clark, great game yesterday. You beat the 49ers and blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And, and Monty says, enough about that. I want to speak to Lance Sweetfeet. <laughs> And so I get on with Monty and, and doing my shtick, and, and he said, I, I want, Lance, will you stop snapping the guys with towels? He said, you know, some one guy's got this bad this mark of a rash on his leg, you know, and I, anyway. So those were just some of them. We had a, the Indian chief that when women were pregnant, the, they would call in and say, or the husband say, my wife's, you know, two days overdue. Can the chief do a chant for her? And I had this Indian chief who would do, hey, oh, hey, oh. We had a lot of different characters. I find it fascinating that you would conjure these characters up from out of thin air. I mean, did Dick make suggestions to you? No, you not, I mean, probably sometimes. But remember, my love of Jonathan Winters, I would see well, I was how, just going to bring him up. Yeah, exactly. he was my hero. And, yeah. and I had every album he ever made, and I watched him every time on television. And, you know, I was, wow, God, is that cool? Right. And you just came up with things. Well, we did a lot of novelty songs for you guys back then. Uh, there was uh, Elizabeth Taylor Thighs. Yes. She's got Elizabeth Taylor Thighs. Donuts Make My Brown Eyes Blue. And donuts make my brown eyes blue. But when I think about all of this, those things were not politically correct. No. I mean, today they're not. Although, yeah, of course. Yeah. And so things have really changed. In fact, we were thinking we'd like to put some of that old stuff out there, but I dare say we'd probably get a lot of flack from uh, who knows what or where or when. Go ahead, because they can't fire me. <laughs> So, yeah. Well, it, and the other thing, speaking in that vein, Dick taught me one thing when, when there were elections and this and that, because we used to make fun of politicians and everything. Right. Dick had the same philosophy Johnny Carson had. Never let them know whose side you're on. Ah, right. I used to love David Letterman. Mm-hmm. But when Letterman went so pro-Democrat, mm-hmm. I mean, he wouldn't and it leave it. became obvious. Oh, too. my God. And even after when Bush was defeated, right. he just wouldn't let it go. Right. And I stopped watching him. And I said to somebody, I said, he's committed entertainment suicide right. because half of his audience is Republican. Half of his audience of is Democrat. So no one's going to, all his Republicans, no, I'm not going to watch him. Right. And Jay Leno was the same way. He didn't pick a side. No. He'd make a joke about one guy, make a joke about the other guy. So you never knew. And that's what Dick said. Don't let them know what side you're on because you're going to offend one side. Exactly. So we'll make fun of everybody. <laughs> you're listening to Yakin with Yessian. Visit danyessian.com and sign up for the newsletter to receive all the latest content including vlogs, podcasts, and all things related to Dan's feature work and Armenian Trilogy. Now back to the conversation. It was great. I love the prank calls, too. Oh, God, they were so much fun. Our, our, one of our classic, and there were many classics, was the one I did almost all by myself because we were getting to a point where people were recognizing Dick. Um, now, this was a day, the days before email. Right. People would send us a letter and mm-hmm. say, um, <clears throat> I have my friend Dan Yesian who just uh, uh, built a swimming pool at his house. And here's the company he used. Here's where he lives. <laughs> And his next-door neighbor is Paula. Right. So we would sit down and we'd type out a script. I mean, uh, bullet points. And I would put at the top of the thing, you are, meaning Dick, you know, Earl so-and-so from Robertson's Pools. Mm -hmm. The victim is, you know, Dan Yessian. So, Mm -hmm. you know, either after we get off the air... We'd tape the call. I mean, they'd go for 20 minutes, but you, you edited oh, yeah. them down. Yeah. But we'd, we'd call, 
And the guy would answer, either at his office or at his home, and you'd say who you were, and then, you know, you live at such and such, yeah, yeah, well, I'm with the city of, uh, you know, Garden City. Right. And we've discovered that your pool is two feet over on your neighbor Paula's <laughs> residence. He said, it can't be. I mean, we had the pool people. Yeah, well, they made a mistake. And he said, well, what do you mean they made a mistake? Well, what's going to happen? Well, <clears throat> you're either going to have to dig it up and move it two feet on your property, or we talked to Paula, and she said, if I can use the pool on Tuesdays and Fridays, <laughs> all with my own family, I'll, you know. And then, of course, you make it more ridiculous. Oh, my gosh. But the one, but so then you would start doing these, and people would say, this is Dick Burton. <laughs> so <clears throat> obviously it was scrapped. Right. So we got a classic call one time from a guy who knew this guy at, uh, oh, I forget where he worked, a newspaper. And he had a Porsche. This is the one that I remember yeah. very, very well. Go ahead, tell he us had, about He had that. a Porsche, and he kept it in the wintertime down in, I think, Wheeling, West Virginia, at his mother's house in Wheeling, West Virginia, because of the snow and everything right. like that. So this was, this was like, oh, this is perfect. So Dick said, you be, you be the guy, because I don't want him to recognize me, because he's in newspaper business. Mm -hmm. We give the guy the call at his office, and I say, um, I forget his name, but, hey, Mr. Jones. This is Jake Folsom from Bonner's Garage. In Gaelic, Virginia? Yes, sir. Um, you don't know me, but the other day uh, a lady came in here who I believe is your mother. Yes. She brought in a 924 uh, Porsche. Uh, it's a Mars Red with a black interior. Oh, boy. Yes. Okay. It, uh, yes. Uh, what did mother do? Well, uh, we she brought asked, it in. Uh, what's the problem? She brought it in for some repair and some paint work to be done. Oh, uh, no, no. It seems that uh, there were some scratches on the side of the car. It's scratched? We got a busted headlight. Oh, and, no. And a bumper is dented somewhat, not too much. My eyes, my tongue, but not my Porsche. It was one of those gotcha. Yeah, and you couldn't replicate that with, a re with an actor doing those parts. Well, you know what's so funny, Dan? Today they will advertise that radio stations have funny phone calls. Mm -hmm. They're all actors. Uh -huh. Because what happened was we started all that, and then other guys at different radio stations started the same thing. What we would do was we would do the call, and then after the call was over and it was discovered and everything, you said to the person, look, we recorded this. You were very, you always said this, you were very funny. Yeah. And although we made a fool out of you, but you were very funny. Do we have your permission to play this on the air? And of course, most 99%, only one person said no one time. And they said, yeah, go ahead. So two guys out of some other city did it one time. They called the lady and she had been to the beauty salon and they told her her hair was going to fall out because they used the wrong thing. Well, she hung up. <laughs> And then they called her back and said, you know, this was just a joke. And she hung up again. Then she called the FCC oh boy. and she complained. Oh boy. And she said, and then the FCC put out a rule at that point that said, if you call somebody to broadcast them, whether you're recording them or not, you must say, as soon as they say hello, you must say you're being recorded or you're on the radio. Well, of course, that shoots the whole thing. Right, of course. So that, that next all of that. And even, although we got away with it, even if you called a contest winner and you said, somebody answered the phone, hey, Dan Yessian, mm -hmm. you entered the Keener or such and kind. Well, you won. Now, we didn't get your permission, but they weren't going to say anything because they just won a prize. Right. So now what happens is these companies, these stations hire actors, and they make up scripts, and they just put... So they're, but they're you not, can tell. You can yes, tell it's, yes. not, it's not the real stuff. Was there any litigious activity with that back then? Would, did anybody go out to actually sue you no. guys? Well, no. The only time we had a, a, a woman say no was um, 
She was a lady Marine. I forget what the premise was, but when Dick said, can we play? She said, absolutely not. Don't you dare play this on the radio. So that was the only time anybody refused. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. It's remarkable, too, then, after you left Dick, you went on your own. On those WOMC days, were you able to in- inject any of this into those Well, into when those Dick shows? and I left, I was at CK. That's right. And uh, Tom Delisle uh, was one of our writers, and you know, who was a brilliant writer. Right. And he stayed with me. Okay. And then um, Dick went to Cozy, CZY, and he, you know, had a whole staff of people then. Yeah. So right. He took a whole staff to replace me. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, and um, yeah. So then Tom and I worked for a year together at CKLW, and then they wanted to go in a different direction. Mm-hmm. They always want to go in a different. Of course direction. they do. And, yeah. and so that all right, that happened. And then I got hired at OMC. And then Tom uh, did not come with me at OMC, but he wrote for me. Okay. So then I had you know a uh, couple sidekicks there. And then I I was there twenty three years. And then when they brought Dick over in the morning, I moved to afternoons, and I asked, uh, Lane Baker was our general manager, and I said, can I do a morning show in the afternoon? Well, we'll try it. Mm-hmm. Because that was the fun. of it. The fun was having people be the stars of the show. People would call up, and first thing I'd ask them is, what high school did you go to? Right. And, uh, you know, the guy, the guy said Catholic Central, also the Shamrocks, uh, because I refereed high school basketball for 35 years. Right. And I knew a lot, not all of them, but I knew a lot of them. And, and, and we let them carry the ball, sort of. And right. you had fun with them. How has all this changed now with radio? What, what, what's your impression in terms of how did it change? Why did it change? You know, I mean, there's a lot of people out there that want to do radio. Yes. And I don't know what words of advice you have for them, but can you... Aluminum siding. <laughs> <laughs> but how how would you say it's uh, well? How would you say it's changed? Here's here's the thing: they've taken personality out of radio. They let most morning shows, I think, have a lot of leeway. Other than that, when I left, it was going to be seven records in a row with you coming in, talking for a few seconds and that. Then you play a commercial break of maybe five, six, seven commercials. So every once in a while, I'll see a young person anywhere age between eighteen and thirty. What's your favorite radio station? Oh, I don't listen to radio. I said, why not? Well, you got to listen to the whole song. And I say, well, isn't that the idea that they play music, that you listen to a station that has music you like? And they'll say, Mr. Ryan, I have an iPod that has 5,000 songs on it. I listen to a minute of a song, and then I go to the next one. Then I go to the next one. So not only do you have to listen to the whole song, you got to listen to commercials. Isn't that part of this attention deficit disorder society now? Oh, sure. But if they find somebody they like, they will say that. Well, I listen to so-and-so, and I said, well, why do you listen to them? Because I think they're funny. Mm-hmm. But that's only in the morning. Right. The re- whole rest of it, unless it's sports or talk. And it, it, it's like television right now. Kids today are young, young people today, not kids, but you know, kids are th- certainly thrown in. They binge watch. Right. A show comes on, you know, whether it's Netflix or NBC or ABC, they wait till the end of the year and they watch them all in two nights. Right. They don't want to sit through the commercials. They don't want to do this. Tom, would you have preferred not spinning records during your career and maybe just doing the shticks more and more? No, I I, I think at that point when uh, we were on the air, records were very important. People liked the music. Right. They really did. And it gave you time to come up with something. Right. It gave you that break, that buffer to relax a little bit. I, right. I, I, I wouldn't be in favor of doing an all-talk show because that's tough. Yeah, that's it would really be tough. What was your favorite music, by the way, though? Well, back then, I mean, when I in the 60s and 70s, that mm-hmm. was, and then when I went to OMC, we were oldies. Right. So I got to play, you got- <laughs> play records I played originally. Right, right. 
you got to figure out what you want to do because if you're a funny person and then unless you do a morning show you know and then you got to find your training ground mm-hmm. you know it used to be you'd go to some little town and you'd, you'd you'd work for a while there and then somebody hear about you and they'd you know you'd go to another higher up station bigger city right but where's the training ground now yeah you know specs howard i don't even know how much they teach you to be a disc jockey anymore and when you did start for those youngsters out there that want to get into something like this, what would you say about getting paid? Did you get paid right off the bat? Did, well, oh, of you- course. I, you know, I was the mail boy. I went downtown every day, got all the mail, and brought it back and distributed whenever they, you know, but back you in those. Did, but you did something to create your charge. Well, I got paid, obviously. Yeah. But I loved working there because after hours, I'd go into a studio and play disc jockey and i'd record myself and then i'd have somebody i'd say listen to this for me will right. you and they would listen to it and they'd say yeah you're talking too fast relax you know then do this do that so i had the facility there where and that was now my originally i wanted to be a sportscaster right but once i started working with dick i said oh wow this is fun <laughs> writing comedy doing voices i mean we're i couldn't wait to get to work and I, I've done, you know, back in those days, I would go to high schools and do career day thing. You know, they have a police officer, a fireman, sure. a doctor. And I would do the radio TV part. And the first question I would always ask the class, there may be anywhere between 10 and 20 kids in a class. I said, how many of you in this class have parents who hate what they do for a living? About half of them would raise their hand. Yeah. I said, you see, figure out what you think you want to do for a living. It might change along the way, but figure out what you want to do. You're not going to get it right off the bat. Mm-hmm. I mean, you. I mean, I, my first job was an usher at a movie theater. We don't have ushers anymore, but mm-hmm. that was the first job I ever had. Right. And so then when I got involved in working at a radio station, I said, wow, this is, you know, I'm watching the guys being on the air, and that's fun. And I'd practice and practice and practice, and then I'd do production and stuff like that, mm-hmm. putting music behind commercials. So you got to yeah. figure out what what's your goal. You can really do anything, but I would tell them, you know what? There's a lot of truck drivers who make a lot of money. Yeah. Not a very glamorous job, but if that's what you find that's your niche, do it. Yeah, right. and, and that's what I did. I found my niche, and I said, well, I'm going to keep practicing this. But what's also interesting, at the time that you were working with Dick or whomever, you were engineering, and you were conjuring what you are going to say in terms of entertaining people simultaneously. Did you not? I mean, you were switching the dials, doing this, doing that, whatever, and then also going on with a skit well you only have one part of that wrong okay <laughs> when i first when i first started working with dick i was doing the dials yeah and i screwed it up so bad he said i'll do the dials <laughs> you just sit there and be funny so yeah you know but i'm glad to hear that by the way because i can't walk and chew gum at the same I, time so whatever. i guess you have to say that i had a god-given gift to be funny and to and to you know write and it's like a, a um, all-star baseball player i would have loved to have been a, but i wasn't any good but there are guys and women who are very good at what they do. Right. And they have a gift. They have a gift that they can do that. Well, you might say, I want to be a surgeon, but I keep cutting my finger all the time. So that's <laughs> probably not a good idea. Uh, you know, so you find your gift. You find what you can do. And then you say, okay, now I'm going to you know, go, go on with it. Do you miss any of this? Yes, I miss it tremendously. But I realize it's, it's, I'm far beyond it now because mm-hmm. they don't let you do that. Are you listening? What are you listening to when you... Very good question. Um, I have an iPod. I have 5,000 tunes on it, and I listen to a minute of each one. Um, I find myself... uh, I have Sirius. 
uh-huh. and I only listened to about four stations. I listened to occasionally the 50s, 60s, and sports. And here in town, I listen to the you know sports talk, right? Because right. I like it. But you know, nobody plays oldies anymore. I'm not into the music that's going on today, right? And now, how do you occupy yourself then beyond that? Is there well, you know, being retired is you know you always say. I don't have time to do anything. I'm so busy. But <laughs> other than you would eat basketball, and my wife and I bought a home up in Harbor Springs, and we travel back and forth mm-hmm. from that, and we're just enjoying everything. Yeah. Good. I'm so glad to hear yeah. that. Tom Ryan, so nice to have you here. Such a pleasure. I can't thank you enough. You've given so much insight about radio and your days. And oh, I could go on for hours. I'm sure you could, but and I would love to hear more. But you couldn't afford me. <laughs> And we're running out of tape. <laughs> yeah, we're running out of tape. There you go. You're using tape? <laughs> Thanks, Tom. All right, Dan. All thank right. you very much. Thank you. This has been Yakking with Yessian. Thanks for tuning in. As always, visit danyessian.com for all the latest content. See you soon.